Dawson Trotman was converted at age 20 and gave 30 years to vigorous pursuit of the goal to know Christ and make him known. He gave his life while saving another from drowning in 1956. Dawson was a man who believed God, who asked him for great things and saw God answer. The ministry of the navigators is one of those answers. It began when another man asked God to teach him the principles he saw practiced in Dawes' life. Now listen to Dawson Trotman give his personal testimony. In our hands we have the most precious treasure on earth. God says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. I stand before you tonight, a young man who would probably be dead. I, I'm not young now, but I'm 50 years old, according to the Chinese. But that's young in, in, as far as eternity is concerned. You know, in China, uh, they introduced me here recently, or for most of them, they said, uh, we want you to meet Mr. Trotman. He is a venerable old gentleman who has reached the half-century mark. Now, see, I'm only 49, and I might feel hurt if I didn't know that the Chinese reckon that when you're born, you're one year old. Now, you think that's stupid, don't you? But listen, when you're born, that's your first birthday, isn't it? So your next birthday is your second. So on your second, we say we're one. I think maybe they're as smart as we are. <laughs> Figure it out. But anyway, I lived 20 years of that 49 on this side of the cross and 29 and a half of those years on this side with Christ. And I can honestly say that any week or month of this 29 years on this side has been worth all of the joy and pleasure that I could squeeze out of those entire 20 years. I started as a little boy trying to get there. I can remember the first time that uh, I wanted something that I shouldn't have had. Mother was working. And uh, I used to see that little bank on her dresser. And that uh, she put dimes in there. And I'd look at it, and there was no way to get those dimes out. And then I'd see her drop one in, and then I'd study the line. And then I'd watch one another one up, and I said, she couldn't tell if one was gone. And so one day I got putting pins in there and working around till all of a sudden they all dropped down. And I put them all back but one. And then I went down to the store and I can remember what I bought with that done. In those days we used to get hard marshmallow chocolate covered gadgets and you'd open them up and there was a little lead prize inside for a penny. That's back before uh, uh, the recent administrations. And I bought ten of those, and I went and hid under a tree, and I ate all ten. Well, I didn't know what to do with the ten prizes, because Mother would see them and ask where, to, where I got them. And eating ten of these, I got sick. And I, I felt sick inside to think that I'd taken a dime from Mother. I stole a dime. And I wish Mother had missed the dime, but she didn't. And then, you know, a few days went by, and I forgot about how I felt, and I thought, well, I won't eat so fast. And I got another dime. And I suppose Mother put seven or eight dollars in that bank before it ever got full with five dollars. 
Oh, how I wish I had been caught. And I wasn't caught for 20 years, or 10, 10 more years. 10 years later, I had robbed my employer. I had been the president of the student body of the high school and the valedictorian of the graduating class, and my subject was morality versus legality, and yet I was stealing from the school fund. So, so deceitful is the human heart. But I, it wasn't because I wanted that. Down in the heart of every human being, there's, there's a twofold desire. There's a desire for happiness and fun and thrills. And there's also this desire to want to be somebody and do something. And sometimes we weigh these matters. I remember when we moved from San Diego, California, back to Arizona, and I thought, well, I'm going into a new area now, and I'll, I'll, I'll get in there. And I started selling newspapers and earning my, the money, and, and I, I lived all right for a little while, and then we moved back to San Diego, and I got started again, stealing a little here and running off and lying here. And oh, how I used to hate to lie. Somebody told me that a liar was a coward. A liar is somebody who is afraid to face the facts, therefore he lies, does the low mean thing to get out of it, and therefore he's a coward. And nobody loves a coward. Everybody hates a coward. And everybody hates being a coward. Well, I, I tried to figure, how could I overcome it? Ah, oh, I knew. I read the scout oath one day, and I thought, I'll be a boy scout. So I joined the scouts, and I took an oath. And I put my three fingers up like that, and I said before a group of men, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, clean, thrifty, brave, reverent. And I put on the scout uniform, and I just sort of felt like a new man. But it was all on the outside. Nothing happened. Fourteen, I joined the church. But I hadn't met Christ. At the age of 17, I started, while I was in high school, going with a Christian girl, and she asked me to go to young people. I became the president of the Young People's Society. And then on graduation night, I ditched that Christian girl. And for three years then, I thought, well, I just can't, I'm just not in me to be good. I guess I'm one of those guys that just can't win. It just seemed that the longer I lived, the weaker I got, the, the more I'd give way to going downhill. So I gave up. And I'd never had touched a drop of liquor. But just a week after I graduated from high school, I went out and they told me, now if you drink, that'll give you fun. You know, they promise you these things when you take this dope and and liquor and all this, and they, they say, boy, if you try this, oh, young people, don't you listen. When you know the thing that is right, don't you let anybody tell you this momentary pleasure is the little tinsel that flashes before your eyes, but it'll lead you astray. And they told me, well, you just get this liquor, you know, and you drink it, and it makes you feel good and brave. I got me a pint of moonshine. It was still prohibition in those days, and I'd swallowed a big swallow, and I about wilted it, burned, so I was straight alcohol, and 
I said, I don't feel good. And the guy says, keep drinking. Well, I just downed that, most of that bottle, and I woke up the next day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. My suit was ruined. My money was gone. My purse was gone. I didn't know where I'd been. You'd think that was enough, wouldn't you? But it was only the beginning. And in my 20th year, four times I was picked up in an ambulance. Four times I was had the police after me. And finally, three months, two months after I had reached my 20th birthday, I was arrested and on my way to jail. I just bought a new convertible Buick. I bought it just for the fun, pick up girls and, 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 and have a good time. And I was on my way to jail that night and mother was home, sick in bed. And somehow I guess she'd had a premonition for she'd said to me that very week, she said, son, you're breaking my heart. And tonight, she said, I'm praying for you. But she said, you know, I'm afraid. If I ever hear that you're in jail, she said, I'll die. It'll kill me. And on the way to jail, though I was under the influence of liquor, I thought of that. And I did like any man does when he gets in trouble. I cried out to God. And I said, oh, God, if you'll get me out of this mess tonight, if you'll keep me out of jail, I'll do whatever you want. And it frightened me as I said that because just one month before, I was drowning in a lake. The girl that I was swimming across this lake with at night couldn't make it, and I have a bad heart, and I was hardly able to make it. And she went down and yelled, and I tried to grab her, and we both went down. And under the water, I, I just, in my heart, I cried, God save me. I'll do what you want. And we bobbed up, and a couple coming along in a boat, hadn't seen us up till that moment, pulled us out. And I'd forgot all about it when I got home. But this time, I, I thought, God, if you save me this time, I'll do what you want. Well, the, the big old policeman had me by the arm, and he was angry because I had done something he hated. he just seen me insult a woman. And he was mad. But the moment I prayed, he looked down at me, you know, and he said, Do you like this kind of a life? And I said, Sir, I hate it. He took me to a park. He made me stay there three hours till I sobered up and he let me go with a promise. And that was a Friday night and Sunday night I went to church. Now I lived in a little town of 5,000 people and there were four churches. And in these churches there were young people's groups. So anywhere from 10, 15 up to 50. And there were some young fellows my age. But do you know that I found out later after this event that there wasn't one young fella, 17, 18, 19, or 20, or 21, in any one of those young people's groups that God could put his hand on and say, now I've got a job for you. And because this young Christian would be praying and God knows the hearts of all, there wasn't one fella though that God could reach down and guide to Dawson Trauman to tell him the gospel story. Because I know that if anybody had come along about that time and said, I have the solution to your problems, I'd have listened. But there wasn't any fellow like that, as I found out later through a series of, of events. And so God picked out a little couple of women, Miss Mills and Miss Thomas, 
And uh, now these were school teachers, two lovely ladies. And I believe with all my heart that God has all over the world some of these so-called missed blessings that become greater blessings to the world because they've given their lives to Jesus Christ and are in his service. He has many of them. And Miss Mills and Miss Thomas happen to be two. Miss Thomas has gone to be with the Lord and Miss Mills is still alive. And Miss Mills is the one who, six years before this day, had put a name of a boy on a prayer list. She was the general science teacher. And in the ninth grade, this boy in her class, there was a beautiful blonde sat in the first row, Mary Wilkins. And in those days, the girls wore long curls down the back, you know, rolled like this, a bunch of them. But every other day, Mary would wear her hair in curls, and then the in-between days, she'd part it in the middle, comb it out like this, and braid it. And she looked dumb. She looked beautiful with the curls, but she looked dumb with the braids. And Mary was my girl. <laughs> and we didn't have fountain pens in those days. We had ink wells right up there. And this braid used to hang just about an inch from that ink well. And I went on a sit-down strike and on the braids, and I'd go like that. And uh, she'd yell, and, and Miss Mills would have trouble. And she decided to pray for this boy. So she wrote Dawson Trotman down on her prayer list. And she told me later that she had prayed every day for six solid years. Little did she know that on Friday night, while she was home with Miss Thomas, and they had a whole stack of little pieces of paper, and they were looking up verses in the Bible and trying to find ten verses on the subject of salvation that they could get the young people to memorize. Little did she know that the boy that she'd been praying for six years was going to memorize because it was that Friday night that she was writing those down that I was on my way to jail. And so as Sunday came along, I decided to go to young people's. Well, the pool hall where I played billiards and gambled was just down the street. The church was on Brethren Street, just a half a block down. And we used to hear the old church bell ring up there, and I'd stand out and watch these Christians go down there, and I'd poke fun at them. But this night, I looked around, and none of the boys were looking, and I sneaked down, and I started to go in the young people's group. And that night, there was a boy and a girl on the front porch, Johnny Stanton and Alice Rugrath. Now, Johnny was a fine, big, tall young fella, and Alice was a very, very lovely, beautiful girl. And so when they saw me, they recognized, they knew me because they'd known me in high school. But they were nice. I didn't expect such a warm, lovely greeting. And they said, oh, we're starting a contest tonight. And Johnny said, be on my side. And Alice said, you be on my side. So I went on Alice's side. <laughs> and Alice gave me this little piece of paper, see? And she said, now you hang on to this. And we got inside and they had the usual deal, you know, and, and uh, I don't remember what was said, but I do remember this. They talked about a party they were going to have, and they were going to have a contest, and you got points for being there, and if you were on time, you got extra, and if you put money in the collection, you got extra. Take note. And uh, 
uh, then if you brought somebody, you got points. And then if you learn these verses, you got points. And I said, well, what do you do with these? Well, you look them up in the Bible and see those numbers. That's the chapter and that's the verse. And then you learn it and you get five points. Ten verses, 50 points. So I went home and I dug up a little testament and I stuck it where nobody could see it. And I went to work. I drove a truck. And during the week, I thought, well, I, I, whenever I went into a contest, at least I had a lot of faults, but I didn't have the fault of not fighting. At least I went in and fought. And I tried to win, so I learned all the ten verses. Here I was, learning all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 1, 12 was in that. Many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now, I wasn't thinking about the scripture. I was thinking about 50 points and saving the money so the other side had to pay for the eats at this party. My motive was to save 50 cents. I went back next Sunday, and I got the surprise of my life. You know how many of the kids had learned their verses? None of them. It was the first time I got to see how a lot of Christians do. No life, no fight to get out there and do something. They had a motive. They were Christians, and it surprised me. Oh, Laura Stanton, one of the girls, Johnny's sister, had learned three. Well, when they asked for the people on my side to get up, I thought, I don't want to get up there and make a sap of myself. And then I thought, well, there goes my 50 points. And I jumped up and I quoted the 10 verses. Not because I've got a good memory, because I have a very poor memory. Like I saw a fellow over at the bookstore today, and I said, do I know you? He says, oh, yes, I've... I've Dine with you in your home. I got a poor man. Fifty little points. Well, anyway, Alice came around and says, Good stuff. You put us ahead tonight. Here's ten more. <laughs> you see, Miss Mills and Miss Thomas thought, Well, if anybody does these, well, uh, we'll have ten more. And so the next week, and boy, they really prayed that week because this guy had come. They wrote out ten verses that were all for new Christians to help them to live the Christian life. And in that new batch of ten verses were verses like this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in that was a verse that said, The Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And there was a verse in there that said, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I learned that. And then I learned this one. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And I went back next Sunday, and I got another 50 points for the rest. And with the reds, we're ahead of the blues. And, uh, and, and I helped put them there. And we won the contest. 
But that's all forgotten, and all those kids are forgotten. But one thing isn't forgotten. The third week, on the way to work, with those 20 verses of Scripture stored away down there, I'm walking along, minding my own business with my lunch pail in my hand. I was back in my sin. My little promise to God made to, the, to him that night when the policeman was taking me on to the jail, that didn't change my life. Going to young people's on Sunday night didn't change me. I was the same guy. I was given Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the Silver Spray and the taverns and the beer joint and going to church on Sunday and sort of feeling, well, I guess I'm a little better. I guess a little of this good won't hurt me after all. But Miss Mills was praying and the Word of God was working and all of a sudden... That morning, the third week, walking along, suddenly the Holy Spirit brought to my mind one of those verses. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Boy, those words, hath everlasting life, just stuck in my mind. I said, Oh, God, that's wonderful, everlasting life. Well, I remember when I was a kid reading history that a fellow by the name of Ponce de Leon sailed in an old, a ship and spent a fortune to try to find a place where if he could drink from a certain fountain, he'd be forever young. Here was something better, everlasting life. And I pulled my little testament out of my pocket and I looked it up and sure enough, there it was. Have everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And for the first time that I remember praying after I'd grown to be a man, praying when I wasn't in trouble, I said, Oh, God, whatever this means, I, I want to believe. And just like that, the Holy Spirit brought John 1:12 to my mind. As many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. And I looked it up, and there it was. Sure enough. I said, oh, God, whatever it means to receive Jesus, I do it right now. And that was my new birth. Do you know how I know? I didn't know the next verse here, which tells me it was the new birth. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. The new birth. I didn't know it, but when I went to work and I reached up and I pulled the big old wheel around to my number and punched the clock, and my buddy came up and he told me a dirty story. And in that dirty story, he'd used the name of Jesus Christ. And I remember looking at him, what right did he have to take Jesus' name and use it with that filth? Why, the day before I'd been doing it. You see, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And I didn't laugh at his story. I went on through the day and I drove a big lumber carrier. And in those days, we didn't have power brakes or hydraulic brakes. We just had plain mechanical brakes. And this big seven-ton truck fellows would walk out in front of me and I'd jam on the brake and I used to cuss them a little bit when they do that. And this first day, some fellow made me mad and a swear word came out. Before, I used to think it was smart, but this time I felt bad and I said, Oh, God, I... I'm sorry about that. What'll I do? What'll I do? Oh, 
pretty soon another guy came out in front of me and I cussed him again. Well, what a revolting development. I can't keep this up. What do I do? What do I do, God? Then one of the 20 verses comes up. John 14, 13. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do. Hmm. God, clean my mouth up. And don't let me swear anymore. And then this other verse came. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know, friends, the next time a guy got in my road, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind before the word came out. That's 29 years ago. Only once in 29 years did I ever say a swear word. I suppose I might as well fess up. One night I woke up and I was being eaten alive by bed bugs and I went to say darn and I missed. <laughs> but friends, if God can take a man and control his lips, my Bible teaches if, if any man bridle his tongue, he can bridle his whole body. And that was the beginning of the Christian life and it's one of the reasons, Brother F, why I love to see a brand new Christian begin to get the word of God hidden in the heart. Because if it hadn't been for those 20 verses, I would be back in the dance halls and I'd be back in the beer joints. Oh, I didn't have any trouble with liquor. It left. I didn't have any trouble. I went around, I had a bunch of girls' names in my little notebook and I went around to Nita and I went to Babe and I went to Madge and I said, girls, and I took each one a Gospel of John and I said, girls, I won't be coming over and taking you to the silver spray. And I told them my story, and they never laughed. I just told them right straight from the shoulder. And they said, well, boy, I wish I had the strength to do this. I didn't know how to win them to Christ. I just gave them a gospel of John and said, read it. Nita, she was the first one to come to the Lord later. And I went to them, and I just burned a bunch of bridges behind me and the things that I knew. But then there were other sins. There was one sin in my life that, well, it, it, I wasn't sure whether it was a sin because I saw other Christians do it. But somehow I didn't feel right about it. And so I said, all right, Lord, because I'm doubting, I'm going to give it up. And I gave it up. And I went back to it. And I gave it up again. And I went back and I gave it up. And six times I gave it up and then I went back to it. And I thought, well, this one's got me. I guess I've given up most everything and God won't mind this one little sin. And then maybe it isn't sin anyway. And I tried to forget it, but I didn't forget it. And I want to pass this on right here because I believe there's a lot of people today that are useless to Jesus Christ, not because God doesn't want to use them mightily, but they came to this little crossroads and they never got beyond. And tonight some of you are thinking of a little sin that's been holding you back for a long time. I got news for you. I got good news for you. You can have victory if you want. I went out there in the backyard and I was, we had a corn. Japanese rented our property and uh, there were stalks of corn out there. And I'd go out and hide in the corn. And I got down on my knees and I said, Oh God, isn't there some way you can take this sin away from me? I'm just about ready to give up and I just, and then the Holy Spirit brought one of the 20 verses to my mind. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now that means that any temptation you have, there's a certain batch of people that also have. And then the next part of the verse says, but God is faithful. And any time any one of you think that the temptation is too big, you're saying God isn't faithful. Because it says, God is faithful who will not let you be tempted above that which you are able or above your ability to withstand. Anytime any one of you kids or you older people, and I believe you've got just as big of problems as the kids, anytime one of you face a sin, you know it's sin. Maybe your conscience is seared now. Maybe it doesn't affect you like it used to, but now and then the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind and you, you've lost and lost and lost and you've given up and given up and given up to it. The Bible teaches that God does not let you be tempted more than your ability to meet it. He'll give you a sufficient amount of strength so you can have the victory. And if you don't have it, you know what you're saying? You really don't want it. Please turn to side two. The Bible teaches that God does not let you be tempted more than your ability to meet it. He'll give you a sufficient amount of strength so you can have the victory. And if you don't have it, you know what you're saying? You really don't want it. And many a Christian has arrived at the position that he doesn't want victory over that. He doesn't have the sin. And when he does, he crosses out the great and wonderful things God wants to use him for, to do for his great name's sake. And there was that verse, and the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind. And I said, all right, God, I give it up again. And the Lord took it. And I've watched many a young man with that very sin come to it, turn back, and his life has been useless. I've had many a young man come to me off of his ship and say, Dawson, you know why I came to you instead of when I went going to my chaplain? I'd say, no. Well, that man has a certain thing in his life, and I just couldn't go to him for spiritual help. And many a man has come to me and found the Savior. What if I had been defeated? What kind of a price would I have paid to hang on to that little sin? You know, in the lumber yard, I used to be riding along, and I'd, I'd hear a man whistling and singing hymns. I thought, someday I'm going to stop and see that man. I jumped down one day, and let's say his name was Pete. Pete, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, nope. I said, you're not a Christian? Nope. Oh, you must be. You're always singing hymns. Huh. She says, I learned those when I was a kid from my mother. I'm not a Christian. Well, I said, why? When he was chewing away, you know, and the longer he chewed, the farther his head went back. And I says, why? He says, cost too much. You know, I honestly think that that man thought 
that if he became a Christian, he'd have to give up his plug. Somebody went to Billy Sunday one day and says, Can a man be a Christian and chew tobacco? He says, Sure, but he'd... You mean a man can go to heaven and still chew tobacco? He says, Probably. He'd probably have to go to hell to spit, but... Listen, there's no words in the Bible that it says you can't smoke and chew. One preacher tried to find a verse on tobacco. He couldn't find it. Finally, he came up with this one. And he preached that morning, and his text was, By this time, he stinketh. <laughs> Took it from the 11th. Listen, I'm not saying anything about it. All I know is that many a man has thought it would cost him something about that price. Many a woman has thought it would cost and hasn't come to Christ. Or many a Christian's had a little thing like that come along. They've doubted. Instead of giving God the benefit of the doubt, they've gone ahead. And they've weakened their morale and they've weakened their faith. And their ministry has come to a halt. My Bible says, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have hid his face from you, and he will not hear. But then God was teaching little lessons in those days, and I remember how that, and I pass this on to you young Christians. I know that some of you here would like to hear some of the, the bigger things about how you can go way on for Christ. I'm talking about the little things, the starting things. Someone said it was Michelangelo, I think, that said trifles make perfection. But perfection is no trifle. And I think a lot of the Christians never climb mountains because they stumble over the molehill. And the little things that God brings into your lives, kids, as tests, Give God the chance and let him show you what he can do. Someone said, one with God is a majority. He can take you through and over anything. In those early days, why, a preacher used to come to the lumberyard. And I used to eat my lunch out here, you know, and, and there's about 30 guys used to sit out there and eat their lunch. But on Thursday, Mr. Nethery came over. And he was a nice preacher, a pleasant gentleman. But he'd stand out there in front of the boys that were eating the lunch and give the gospel. Now, the boys didn't like that too well. And about ten of them would move on. They were sore and they didn't eat there that day. But the other fellows stayed. And they didn't show much interest. But after I became a Christian, I went and sat down there and I listened to this fellow. And the first time he preached, I thought, well, now I ought to go up and shake hands with him. But if I shake hands with him then these guys are going to think, I'm like he is. Well, will you do it? Now, that may seem like a little thing, but I didn't know any other Christian in the lumber yard. Now, that doesn't seem like much, does it? But God wanted me to fly my colors, and it took me a couple of weeks to get up the nerve. You know, some people think, they say, well, boy, if I just had the strength and the, and the drive and the, and the initiative and the... And the Whatever it takes that you've got, I'd live the Christian life. I'm telling you, you're looking at the most cowardly and weak Christian that ever lived. 
It took me a couple of weeks before I even had nerve enough to walk out and shake hands with that preacher. And I had to pray for two weeks every morning for God to give me strength, and finally I did. And I noticed the guys kind of looked up. They didn't say anything yet. And one day I was praying along and I was saying, you know how you'll say to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And, and my love was just flowing warm and free. And thought came to me and I said, Now, Lord, I'll do anything you want, no matter how hard it is. Then I got thinking, what would be the hardest thing God would want me to do? Oh, go out there and, and do what Mr. Nethery did. Talk to those men. Would you do it? Says me to I to me. Well, God wouldn't want me to do that. Yeah, but if he did, would you? Well, I, I might, but I don't think he would. But but if he did, would you? Well, I don't know. Three weeks on that one. <laughs> you think I wasn't weak? But I prayed, and God answered. At the end of three weeks, I made up my mind I'd do it. It's a long time, boy, to lose. But I'm going to tell you, if I hadn't made that decision, I think my whole Christian life would have been hurt. That day I went out there to Mr. Nethery, I said, Mr. Nethery, this was the day after I made up my mind. There was a good sermon this morning. He says, you know what I've been thinking? I've been thinking you ought to stand out here and give your testimony. Will you? I said, yes. I just, he didn't know I had a three-week start on it. <laughs> so the next day I told Tommy, he was a Catholic boy, and I told Tommy, my buddy, and I says, you know what I got to do? I got to stand out there and I got to talk to those guys. Oh, man. Well, next Thursday came along and I was riding along minding my business worried to death and guys would wave up me and say hi Fork we're coming out to hear you today and I said well how'd they know hi Fork pretty soon I went by the bulletin board and letters that high old Tommy put it on Pork's gonna preach today <laughs> well, you know what happened there weren't 20 there there were 200 <laughs> the bosses I had already begun to pray for ten of the bosses by name. Seven of them, the last count I knew, had found the Savior. And I gave my testimony to those two hundred, and when I started, boy, I could hardly stop. I'll tell you, the greatest waste of time is the waste of time in getting started. The one thing we need to pray is for boldness. And God gave that boldness. You never hear the disciples saying, Lord, give me an opportunity. Boy, they're all around you. They just said, Lord, grant that with boldness we may speak this message. And that little victory that day changed the course of my life. And yet I know, and I see kids and people. Ah, forget it, kids. I'm talking to the older people. I know a lot of you men today. You can talk about anything under heaven to the men you work with. But because you, you balked on this someplace down the line, you're still balking. I got news for you. If you confess your sin, God will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from you. And you can start tomorrow boldly. You can pick up where you left off. And you don't have to repent for two weeks. 
I sinned once against the Lord, and I'd sinned this sin before, and I said, Oh, God, I, can you ever use me again? I really am sorry. And I walked out of this room, and I bumped into a guy coming out of the room. It ended up with him accepting the Lord. The Lord would just show me, when I forgive, I do it, and I do it now. I look at the heart. You can get that thing settled. But what I found out about those young people that couldn't even learn the Scripture for the Lord or for the party or for the win, oh, what a blessing it was to me. I started learning verses then, and I learned one a day for the first three years. I learned my first thousand verses the first three years. I talked to a man about the Lord. He had an excuse. He didn't want to come. I went to my preacher. I said, Preacher, I told one of the boys at the lumberyard about Jesus Christ. I told him salvation was free. He's in trouble. But he turned it down, and he said, The reason he's turning it down, there are too many hypocrites in the church. What in the world shall I say to a guy like that? He said, Son, in the Bible it says that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He said, I don't know where it is, but it's in there somewhere, and you look it up. I said, well, how will I find it? He said, well, let me see your Bible. And he found it had a concordance in the back, and he helped me find that verse. And he said, I'll tell you something, lad. Every excuse that any man can give, there's an answer for it in the Bible. And I believe my preacher. And I went alone, and I got up in the hill, and I said, God, if there's an answer to any man's excuse, I promise you I'll never be caught on the same excuse twice. That's a little promise to make, but it changed the course of my life. After all, there's only so many. And that's how the nav work started. It was one night I had a sailor with me. And we were sitting in a car, and a policeman came up and opened the door, and I pulled the Bible up. And he looked at the sailor and the Bible and me, and he couldn't put the three together. He says, you believe the Bible? I said, yes. He said, I used to believe the Bible. Do you want to talk to me? Spencer, the sailor, it was the first night we'd met, first navigator. I didn't know what he, he was going to be a navigator. I didn't know what God was going to do. But he looked up and, like he wanted me to talk to the policeman. We sat down. This policeman had about six excuses. You know, you can smell them coming. I, I get, a guy got in my car one day and... And uh, I said something about the Lord. He says, you know why I don't become a Christian? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, why? I said, too many hypocrites in the church. <laughs> oh, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> I said, I could smell it coming. I said, look, buddy, you're hiding behind the hypocrite. Did you know you've got to be smaller than an object to hide behind it? A hypocrite's a counterfeit. And you've got to have something real before you can counterfeit it. Whoever heard of a counterfeit $15 bill? Only tens and twenties, because there's some real ones. There's an answer for those boys. And that sailor saw all this man's excuses met with the Word of God. Not just a little logic like that, but also the Word. And you know what Spencer said? On the way home, he said, Doss, if I could do what you did tonight, I'd give my right arm. And I said, no, you wouldn't. He said, yes, I would. 
There were just the two of us right along. I said, no, you wouldn't. He said, I said I would. <laughs> you know why I said it the second time, no, you wouldn't? Because I've met Christians too many times. Go to summer conferences. Go to a conference like this. Go home all steamed up. Maybe God's spoken to them about their devotional life. Next week, they have to get up every morning and have time with the Lord. Second week, they only miss one day. Third week, they only miss three days. Fifth week, they only miss five days. It's the seventh week before they need a new conference. Seventh week before they're back in the same old rut. That's what I've been meeting for 29 years, I'm sorry to say. And I said to Spencer, no, you wouldn't. He said, I said I would. And then I turned to this lad, and I thought he meant business. I said, my lad, you can do what I did tonight. It won't cost you your right arm, but it will cost something. It'll mean the face set like a flint. It'll mean to say, I will. Spencer said, I will. I read the Psalms and I hear David say, I will worship toward thy holy temple. I was amazed at the, at the scores and scores of I will. God said David was a man after his own heart. I believe God wants some men. God doesn't want you to do anything in your own weak way. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And by the grace of God, everything else comes second. His will first is your will. And you're going home to say, I will. I said I will. I spent three months with that boy, and I told some of you today about it. And taught him how to get another man to teach him to say, I will. And he taught a man. I was in Brazil, way back in Campinas. I was talking to a group of missionaries, and I said to them, in 1946 and 47, I crisscrossed the United States. I went up and down. I spoke at youth meetings. I spoke in Philadelphia to five different seminaries and Bible schools. I spoke in, in Sunday school classes and in churches. And in two solid years, not once, did I speak in 1946 and 47, in that period that I was watching it, except some fellow would come up to me afterward and say, Doss, I've been wanting to meet you. A navigator led me to Christ. I was saying this to a little group down in Campinas, and two of the missionary fellows came up and said, Doss, I've been wanting to meet you. One of them said, I, I was led to Christ by a navigator. And the other missionary says, I was too. Because by the grace of God, some of these problems were met in the early days. And those stumbling blocks became stepping stones. You know, I've come to the place where when things begin to look tough, I begin to praise God. I just read the story of uh, uh, your story today. I went to my hotel room and took that little booklet that you've got. And so I heard the, read the wonderful story of how you stepped out and got that little station here in Lincoln, Nebraska, 50 water or whatever it was, $4 and a half program. Boy, those were the most precious days of the whole deal. Believe me, those were stepping stones. 
and any man I've ever known who's accomplished anything for God, it wasn't because he was smart. It wasn't because he was talented. It was because he was faithful. It was because he set his face like a flint. And he knew that God was bigger than he was. And God could do all that he'd promised for him and through it. And he just let him and he just obeyed him. God is speaking to some of you. Is there a man 60 years old here? Have you, have you crossed your name off of God's do list? I got news for you. The man that started the Fisherman Club in the Bible Institute of Los Angeles was a man who at 60 years old got six young fellows together from Los Angeles and out of that prayer meeting grew the Bible Institute. God can use you. God can use those gray hairs to his glory. I respect them highly. And God can use that experience when given to him. There's not a person here. Are you afflicted? Have you got some problem? I just came from Okinawa. We got a big Bob Boardman over there. He was shot through the throat by a Japanese sniper. He only speaks in a whisper. I met him in Philadelphia, and he had a silver tube in here to talk. He'd breathe through this tube, and then he'd hold his finger over it and talk to you. He finally got it fixed so he can talk out of up here without holding his finger over He wanted to go back and win some of the Okinawans that he'd seen bombed. He studied Spanish and French, and now he's studying Japanese so he could win those people. I just came back from England recently, and I had time with Stuart, a blind, crippled fellow. He's blind and he's crippled. He found the Lord in Billy's meeting. You know what he does? He gets on the underground, and as he sits down, people are helping him because they see that he's, that he's both blind and crippled. And when he gets there, he hands him his Bible, and he says, I'm blind. Would you read me the third chapter of John on page so-and-so? Or he pulls out his pack and says, Will you review me on my verses? I want to tell you, your handicaps also are things God can use. You see your calling, brother, and how that God has chosen not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the weak things. When I talk to a person about serving the Lord and they say, I'm so weak, I say, shake. You're a candidate. What's your excuse? You have no reason. And God has an answer for all the excuses of men, both Christians and non-Christians. Give them to him, will you? Tell him tonight he's big enough and the job is big enough and you're, and you're going to volunteer. You'll go back where you left him and do that little thing or give up that little thing. You'll give him the first part of the day like you've tried to do but later had it robbed with your newspaper and sports and comic strip. Tell him you'll do it. We have just listened to Dawson Trotman tell how he found Christ through memorizing Scripture, and he related some basic lessons he learned as a young Christian that made his life fruitful in later years.